Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au So good to have you in church today. Glad to be in church. Three of you are. That's awesome. (laughs) That's a good start. Amen. Why don't we pray together. Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for your spirit and for your presence that is here with us today. And Father, we haven't gathered religiously. We haven't gathered because we have to be here. But our heart's desire is for your presence, for your glory. And so we invite you by the Holy Spirit to come in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would speak today, Lord God. I pray that for the sense of the miraculous, Lord God, that people will experience the power and the presence of God. I pray in the name of Jesus. Be glorified today in Jesus' name. Father, let strongholds be broken. Let mindsets be changed, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus. We just want to honour you and glorify you in everything that we do today, Lord God. Let a thought, Father, change our hearts. Let us walk out of here transformed, changed. Lord God, let eternal destinies be rewritten because of what happens here today, Lord God. And we bind every work of the enemy and every distraction in the name of Jesus. Let your name be lifted high, I pray. And I thank you for what you're going to do amongst us today. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's worship together. Living and being alive is just semantics, I understand, but. Sometimes we can be alive, but we're not, we're not living. The uh, Bible says about God created Adam out of the dust and, and he had a body, he had the form, but then he, he breathed on him and he came alive. One, one, one of the things that God comes to do, that Christ came to do is to, give, is to enable us to live life and life in abundance, to experience life and life in abundance. He came so that we could experience the kind of life we've always dreamed about having. Not just existing, not just to go through the motions of life, but really to be alive. And, and one of the things that happens as we give our life to Christ is, is, is like our eyes are open and, and suddenly we begin to experience life, the kind of life that God wants us to live. I pray that that would be our experience here today and here this morning. It's just such a good sense of God's presence. Good to have so many people in church this morning worshiping and glorifying the name of Jesus. Why don't we pray together? Father, we just thank you for your spirit that is here amongst us today. We just invite you to just just come and minister to each and every one of us. Fill the house with your glory. Fill the house with your presence. We love you so much, Lord. And we need you, Lord God, above all else. Father, I, I just pray for those that might be here in church this morning and Life has become dull, dreary, predictable, breathing, but no life with God. I just pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would breathe on them, Lord God. I I pray that they would experience the breath of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that would cause them to come back to life, Lord God. Experience the kind of life that you came to give us. We love you so much, Lord God, and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Father God. You're an amazing God. And we just want to honour you and glorify you, Lord God. You know the needs represented across the congregation, Lord God. Just reach out by the Spirit of God and minister. 
Let lives be changed because of what happens here today. In the midst of all the words, let us hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that speaks deep into our hearts, Lord God. We bind every work of the enemy, Father. Every distraction, we come against it in Jesus' name. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. Father, we thank you that you're the God that has chosen to move through this thing called the Church of Jesus Christ, Lord God. And I, and I just thank you that you're going to move amongst us today, that you said you would build the church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, Lord God. So minister today. Speak today. Father, let your spirit move with the miraculous, Lord God. Supernatural, Lord God. Father God, I just pray that we would get a sense of you, Lord God. That the glory of of your presence would fill the house of God, Lord God. We, we, we don't want to just go through the motions, Lord God. We, Father, we, we, we want to we meet with you above all else, Lord God. So be glorified here today, Lord God, I pray. And we will give you all the glory and we will give you all the honour that is due to your name, Lord God. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. If you've got a digital Bible on your phone, you're going to have no trouble. If you've got a paper Bible... uh, it's, uh, it's one of the minor prophets. It's the little book and it's uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle somewhere, all right? So it's Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Just keep flicking until you get to it. Um, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5 says this. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter. Sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, be better for me to just die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have not concerned for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from the left, and also many animals. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. And I just pray that this word would come alive in our hearts and in our lives. Speak to us by the Holy Spirit. Just bind every work of the enemy in Jesus' name, every distraction. Father, bind every fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom to speak the Word of God today. Let there be nothing in me that hinders this Word. Be glorified today, I pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We're in a series entitled... Will you not revive us again? Really excited about this series. I really pray that we kind of get the heart of what the message is and what the Word of God is saying to us. Title comes from the series uh, in Psalm 85. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. It's the cry of the psalmist. I believe it needs to be the cry of the church today. It needs to be one of the prayers of the church today. Oh God, will you not revive us? 
again. The question we've been looking at in, in this series is how can we experience a revival? We've heard of the revivals in history where God has moved in a powerful way. And the question for us as a church is, well, how can we experience that in our lives today? Well, in order to answer this question, we've been looking at the past and we've been looking at some of the revivals of Scripture and what we've sought to do is identify some of the marks of revival precursors, the common elements seen in all of the revivals of history. And so far, we've looked at two. Uh, first one we looked at, which was a few weeks ago, that we said that prayer has always been a mark of revival. There's always been a group of people that have cried out to God. There's, it's not always been a massive group, just a few people that have said, Oh God, we want to see your spirit move. Oh God, we, 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 want, we want to see your glory amongst us. I pray that God would give us a heart to begin to seek after God. Can I hear an amen? We, we, we've got more than a few people here today in church and it's just, just powerful to see. But my prayer is that God would give us a heart to seek after God in, in, in a greater way and uh, that He would move amongst us in a powerful way. We don't want to just be a church that has the form uh, of, of, of religion or the form of, we don't want that. We need to see the power of God manifest amongst us. We need to see the power and the presence of God uh, uh, manifest amongst us. The second thing is there's always been a return to holiness and a consecration to God. As people cry out to God, spend time in the presence of God, suddenly they became aware of things in their lives that needed changing, the sin in their lives. And there's the, there's the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit that says this area in your life needs changing. And, and, and as people have responded, God has begun to move. There is a third marker of revivals, and that is, as people seek God, seek to be right with God, as people get closer to God, they experience what's termed the burden of the Lord. They experience what's termed the burden of the Lord. Bible says in Jeremiah, when the people or the prophet or a priest shall ask thee, saying, what is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, what burden? Jeremiah the prophet was speaking uh, at a time when Israel was in a backslidden state. They, had, they were far from God. They had turned away from God. God speaks to them. I, can't, I haven't got time to go into the context of, of the particular scripture, but, but, but God speaks to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, because you don't want the burden of the Lord, I'm going to take it away from you. Because you've turned your back on me, I will remove your burden from you. I will, I will remove uh, uh, my burden off of you. And soon after this, Israel was taken into captivity and they were sent off into Babylon. Now, whenever we think of a burden, whenever we think of carrying a burden, we think of something that's weighing down on us. I mean, I just want you to imagine what a burden looks like. What kind of image comes into your mind when you think about a burden? One, one is of something weighing us down, a weight, something heavy. Um, when we think about carrying a burden, um, we don't necessarily think about carrying a physical burden because if it was a physical burden, it would be a lot easier to carry. But often the things that burden us, the things that weigh us down are usually emotional or mental. Uh, it's a burden of the heart. How many people know they're a lot harder to carry than, than a physical burden? I'd rather carry 20, 30 kilos than, than, have a, than have an emotional burden, something weighing me down in my heart. Burden comes from a family of words that include concern, heaviness, responsibility, worry, affliction. Question for us is then, 
Well, what is the burden of the Lord? Well, what, what, is it, what is it that burdens God more than anything else? What, what, is, what is the heaviness on God's shoulder? The Bible speaks about the burden of the Lord. Well, what is it, what is it that, 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 that is heavy on God's heart? Burden of the Lord is simply God's burden for those who don't know Him. For those who are far from Him, for those who are lost, for those who are broken. What keeps God up at night, what makes God restless, what God can't get out of His mind, what makes Him feel, feel, feel heavy more than anything else is those that are far from Him, those that don't know Him. Anybody ever had a burden on you that's kept you up at night? You know, when, you, when, you, when there's a heaviness on you, you just can't get it out of your mind. It's a burden. Something about your kids. Uh, something that's going on at work. It's a, it's a, it's a burden. You you, you're trying to think of something else. You can't think of anything else. You go to bed thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night. And as soon as you wake up in the middle of the night, it clicks in. It's always three o'clock in the morning. Everybody found out it's three o'clock in the morning. Don't know why it's three o'clock in the morning. It's three o'clock in the morning. And you wake up and there it is. And suddenly you feel that. You were hoping it would go. It's still there. You wake up in the morning, it's still there. It's in your mind 24-7. You're just thinking about it again and again. You're chewing it over. You're turning it upside down and so on and so on. It's a burden. It's a heaviness. It's a concern. It's anxiety. It's a, it's a, it's a worry that you're carrying uh, inside of you. What, what is the burden of the Lord? What is it that keeps God up at night? I tell you what it is. It's those who don't know Him. Here's the thing. The closer we get to God, the more we will experience the burden of the Lord. The closer we get to God, the, the, the more we know God, the more we will experience the burden that is on His life. From Genesis to Revelation, you will see this theme come up again and again. In Genesis, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit. They ate the fruit. Of course they did. Now you and I, if we were there, we wouldn't have eaten the fruit. Can I hear an amen? There's Life Christian Center full of spiritual. We would not. If God said, don't touch it, we would not have touched it. Can I hear an amen? Liars, the whole lot of you. <laughs> I would have been the first one. Do not touch wet paint. How <laughs> many people want to touch it? It's just, I don't know what, what it is about our hearts. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? How true that is. Do not touch wet cement. <laughs> it's, it's where I want to go. <laughs> it's like saying, please touch the cement. It's wet. <laughs> you know, uh, God says to them, don't eat of that fruit. Eat everything else you want in the garden. Do not eat of that fruit. They ate the fruit. And then they hid from God. What was God's response towards them? What would your response have been if you were God towards them? You wait till I see Adam. Where is he? Wait till I see him. When I find him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. That's what I'm going to do. What did you do, Adam? That wasn't God at all. It's powerful. God was in the garden saying, Adam and Eve had hid. They suddenly, as soon as they ate of the fruit, they, 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 it, they suddenly understood what they had done. And what did they do? They hid. And what, they hid from God. And what does God do? God, God goes into the garden and He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? It's not them running to God saying, hey God, we, we messed up. It's not them. It's God going to them saying, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And God is still asking the same question. Where are you? 
In Revelation, you have Christ knocking at the door of the church in Laodicea. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'm going to come in and we're going to share a meal together uh, as, as friends. This is the church in Laodicea. It's a church. Imagine, here was a church that had closed the door on Christ. And what was his response? Here was, here was a church that is supposed to represent Christ. He's supposed to be the middle of the church, but they'd closed the door to him. And what was his response? What would my response have been? Fine, you don't want me there? I won't come. Don't you worry. You can stay there on your own. What is Christ? He's knocking on the door. And he's inviting them to a meal. And he's saying, I just want to sit with you. Just got so much to tell you. Jesus said in Luke, you, just threw, you, you read from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see this theme come up again and again and again. Jesus said in Luke, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I've just wanted to gather you. You're looking, you're all over the place. You're, you're wondering, you don't know where you're going. You just seem lost. Man, I've just wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. And you were not willing. And you were not willing. Speaking about Israel, God says this, and, and, and this is Hosea chapter 11, and, it's, and it's, the, the language is so beautiful. It's, it's God speaking about Israel like a child and, and how he's, he's, uh, he's tending this child, he's looking after this child. He says, I drew them with gentle cords. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped down and I, and I, and I fed them. One translation says, I, I brought you up to my cheek, is what, the, is what it says. I, I drew them with gentle cords. But they refused to return to me, says the Lord, with tenderness and concern. One of my main prayers over the last few weeks has been, Lord, just draw, draw, draw us to yourself. It's been, my, it's been the cry of my heart over, this, over these last few weeks. We've been praying on a Tuesday here, 12.30 to 1. Uh, and and my, what my main prayer has been, Lord, draw us to yourself. You heard me say this last week. I just, I just, we're so distracted. We, we're so distracted by stuff. We, we've got so much. We, we, you know, we, we're, we're so distracted. And I've been praying, you know, Lord, just draw us to yourself. I, I can preach a sermon, you know, I can, you know, fire and brimstone, let us return to the Lord. And, and that, there's some validity in that. But ultimately, my heart is, God, just, just draw us to yourself. Amen. Some of us are so distracted. One, we, one day we're going to get to heaven, you know. I don't know if it's going to be Peter there at the pearly gates. I don't know what, what's it going to look like. But, but, but we're going to be in heaven. Our phone's going to ring and we say, can, can you just hang on a sec? I've just got to take this call, you know. <laughs> we're so distracted. My prayer has been, Lord, draw us to yourself with gentle cords, with bands of love so that we may seek you and experience the fullness of your presence. This week, um, uh, one of the pillars of our church, one of the long-term members of our church uh, just passed away suddenly. In church last Sunday, uh, passed away on Friday, suddenly. It just, and when that happens, it, something clicks in your brain. And suddenly you go, what is life really all about? <laughs> what, what, what is really important in life? Because it doesn't matter if you've got a million or two or five or ten, it's going to make absolutely no difference at that time. And it makes you reassess and say, well, what's really important in life? 
You know, I just finished reading the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're depressed, please don't read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read another book. Go to the Psalms or something. Don't read Ecclesiastes. But one of the, one of the phrases in Ecclesiastes is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And you know, most of us, you know, we're all chasing after, well, we're just going to get that extra room on the house. The next model of the cars come out. If we just save up a little, you know, we just got to, we got to save up for retirement and so on. It's, a, it's, a, it's stuff that has no eternal bearing. My prayer is that our eyes would be open, that we would get a vision of eternity. Uh, someone said, uh, I think it was St. Augustine said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And my, 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 my prayer is, oh God, that, 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 that we would get involved in things that have eternal value. Paul says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if we want to see a move of God, if we want to see a revival, we need to be moved by what moves God's heart. We need to break for what breaks God's heart. We need to be restless for what makes God restless. What, and what makes God restless more than anything, what keeps him up at night, what makes God feel heavy is those who are far from him. That's what I want to speak about today. And to help us unpack this thought, I want to look at another revival in the Old Testament. It's a familiar revival. It's the story of Jonah and God's heart for this awful nation called Nineveh. Book of Jonah is a short book and it's the only book that ends with a question. The question is, should I not be concerned about the great city, Nineveh? Greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is that, uh, it's not that he was swallowed by uh, a giant fish, believed to be a whale, um, but that Nineveh actually repents. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was full of idolatry, prostitution, witchcraft. More than that, Ninevites were violent. Some of us kind of wonder why Jonah took off. But when you understand Nineveh, you'll understand why he, he did. They were like a modern day ISIS. One writer described Nineveh as scorching its enemies alive to decorate its walls and pyramids with their skins. That's the kind of people they were. But despite their wickedness, this city experienced revival as they turned back to God. So what do we learn from the story of Jonah? First principle we learn is that revival in the church precedes revival in the nation or the city. First principle is we learn is that revival in the church precedes, comes before revival in the city. Before there can be a revival in the city, there needs to be a revival in the church. We don't know too much about this man Jonah other than he was called by God to go to Nineveh. The Bible says, Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Next verse tells us how Jonah responded. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. So instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Tarshish. Um, Jonah then pays the ticket to get onto the ship, sets sail for Tarshish. And then while he's on this ship, God sends a storm. Where is Jonah in the storm, by the way? He's in the hull of the boat, sound asleep. So I just want you to kind of get a picture of this because it's an interesting story. Um, God has spoken to Jonah very clearly. Uh, there's no um, uh, wondering, did God speak or not? No, God calls him. God has given him a clear message. I want you to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is about to come under judgment. 
And if they don't repent, they're about to perish. And Jonah's response to the call of God on his life, he doesn't care one bit. He actually heads in the opposite direction. More than that, he's sound asleep in the bottom of a boat. I pray that would never happen to us as a church. I I pray that we would never, ever respond in that way to the call of God. I pray that we would hear the word of the Lord and not only hear it, but that we would also obey. And that above all else, we would always be motivated by a concern for those that don't know Christ. Jonah reminds us that before there could be a revival in Nineveh, there needed to be a revival in Jonah. Before there can be a revival in the city, there needs to be a revival in the church. Something needed to change in Jonah before Nineveh could change. And to bring Jonah back to his senses, God brings a storm and he's thrown out of his safe place. I love what the Bible says. It says, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of God. Can I just say, we can never, we can never flee from the presence of God. Psalm 139, I think it is. Where, where can I go that you aren't God? If I go up to the mountain, you're there. If I go down to the valley, you're there. Wherever we are, God is there. God is always present. Can I hear an amen? Bible tells us he's omnipresent. And so to bring Jonah back to his senses, God brings a storm and he's thrown out of his safe place. Can, can I just say disobedience is never going to end well for you, ever. He's <laughs> thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish. And what is he doing in the fish now? Well, one thing he's definitely not doing, he's not sleeping anymore. He's awake now. And he's praying. The Bible says from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And Jonah has a, his own personal awakening, his own personal revival. Nothing like a bit of seaweed wrapped around you to get you on your knees. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And right there and then he begins to worship the Lord. He's in, he's in the whale and he begins to worship the Lord. He begins to glorify God. And as he worshipped, um, God delivered him from that situation. I pray that as a church, we don't have to wait for a crisis to begin to seek God. Have you ever noticed, I don't know about you, but it's true in my own life, that, you know, it's amazing how our, our, our relationship with God goes to another level when we're going through a trial. Can I hear an amen? It always does. I, I often think about the situation in Russia, Ukraine right now. Um, can you imagine the church in Ukraine? Do you think they're worried about, about the, you know, the color of paint on their walls? I don't know which color to, to choose. Do you think they're worried about that right now? They're praying. They're crying out to God. They're seeking the, the face of God like they before. I just heard, I just heard one, one, of one church uh, just this week, and, and, and one of the pastors has seen the church quadruple in size during this kind of time. I pray that as a church, we would never have to wait for a crisis to bring us to our knees, but that we would understand what the burden of the Lord is and that the burden of the Lord would bring us to our knees and pray and to seek God. Like Habakkuk prayed, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. Make them known. First truth Jonah teaches us is that revival in the church precedes revival in the city. The second principle Jonah teaches us is that the purpose of a revival or a move of God is to reach those who are far from God. 
Jonah repents and cries out to God. And the first thing that God says to him, he says, go back to Nineveh. Go back to Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it. The message I give you. The revival in Jonah was not about Jonah. The revival in Jonah was about God's concern in Nineveh. Some of us want a revival so that we can see God move in our lives. So we can see the miraculous in our lives. And all thing, all they, well, that's great and that's all good. But that's not the reason why God wants to move. A move of God is not about you and me. Ultimately, it's about the burden of the Lord. It's, 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 it's the burden that is on God that is the motivation for a revival in a city and in a nation. God loves the church, but the reason why he wants to revive the church is to reach those who are far from God. God's concern is always for those that are outside who don't know him. God is the shepherd searching for the lost sheep. Bible tells us the story, Luke chapter 15. I just love, I love the, the story and, and it's, it's just so powerful. You know, there was, a, there was Jesus, he was, the Bible tells us he was hanging out with the, you know, with, the, with, with some of the, you know, difficult people and there were prostitutes and tax collectors and, 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 and some people without a good reputation. And for some reason, these guys loved hanging out with Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious types, those who you could just imagine they're in their, they're in their garb and, the, and, and so on and so on. When they saw Jesus hanging out with these guys, they began to murmur and criticise him. So Jesus says to them, he starts to tell them a story. It's a story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and the shepherd, you know, he, what he does is he leaves the 99 and he goes in search of the one. And then he tells a story about a woman and, and she's looking for a lost coin. She's got 10 coins, she's lost one. And the Bible says that, you know, she sweeps the whole house. It's always interesting to see a lady that's lost something, you know, important in the house. You sweep the whole house. Happened in our home. <laughs> Everything's turned upside down. Looking for that one lice coin. And then tells a story about a, about a son, um, about a son who's asked his, his father for his inheritance early and, and goes off and squanders it. It's the prodigal son story. His son has rebelled, gone off on his own, doing his own thing. The father's restless. You just imagine the, the father, his son has taken off and, and, and the father's wrestling. Imagine the burden on, 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 on his father's life. It's an empty chair at his table. It's been filled all up to now, but now it's an empty chair and it bothers him. Every day he's looking for his son because today could be the day that he comes home. Today could be the day that he returns. Father doesn't think, well, I've got another son. At home, well, at least he's home. At least he's obedient. Won't matter if I lose one. Well, you know, easy come, easy go. You win some, you lose some. No, every son is important and he wants and he waits in anticipation for that son to return. He has a burden in his heart that can't be satisfied until his son comes home. And when he finally does, the Bible says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Because that's what God's heart is. Above all else. God said to Jonah, the revival is not for you. The revival is for Nineveh. So go and speak to the Ninevites. I pray this morning that God would begin to stir our hearts to challenge us, to give us a fresh vision, that we would once again begin to believe that God can transform people's hearts.
Pray that as a church, we would always be clear about our mission, that we would always be clear about our vision, that we would always be clear about what it is, the church, why the church gathers together, that it's not about you and me or how comfortable we are or meeting our needs, that the mission of Jesus is, is, is Jesus' mission on the earth, which is to seek and to save those who are lost, those who don't know him, those who are far from him. That was Jesus' mission on the earth. I pray that would always be the mission and the purpose for why we gather as the church of Jesus Christ. Jonah obeyed and went to Nineveh and began to preach the message that God gave him. And the people responded with prayer and fasting and repentance. This is what the Bible says. Jonah chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Nineveh responded to the message because one person dared to share their faith. Because, because Jonah dared to share the message, a whole nation turned back to God in a difficult time. Final truth that the book of Jonah teaches us is that God is concerned for the lost, the broken, the wounded. He has a burden for those who don't know him. We get a picture of this in Jonah chapter 4. Uh, the people hear the message, they repent. God uh, doesn't send judgment. And you'd think that Jonah would be happy, but he's not happy at all. In fact, he was really angry. He's angry that God has relented from destroying the city of Nineveh. Look, look, look at what he says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. He says, he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is, is this not what I said when I was still at home? It's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Isn't that a great description of God? People have all these preconceived ideas about who God is and how God works and, and what's really in God's heart. And here's Jonah saying, I didn't go because I know what you're like, God. I know that you're compassionate. I know that you're gracious. I know that you, that you, you, you always you know, uh, relent to send calamity from people that turn back to you. It's the kind of God you are. And God, the reason why I left is because I know you're merciful. So God allows this vine to grow and give him some shade because it was really hot. And then it dies. And Jonah gets really angry because the vine has is died. A worm comes up and eats the vine. So God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine that you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Should I not be troubled, anxious, worried? It's a great description of the burden of the Lord. What is the burden of the Lord? It's concern. Should I not be concerned about this city? If we want to experience a move of God, if we want to see revival, we need to be moved by what moves God's heart. We need to break for what breaks God's heart. We need to be restless for what makes God restless. And what burdens God more than anything else is the hurting, the wounded, the broken. I, I pray that God's burden would become it. Can I hear an Amen. I wonder what burdens us, what concerns us.
Often it's our own stuff. But I, I, I pray that God's concern would become our concern. Jesus often told stories to help people understand what was foremost on his heart. He tells the story of a master who organized a, a feast and invited some guests. Uh, at the time of the feast, one by one, they start making excuses for why they couldn't come to the party. They get this invitation, and one by one, they make excuses for why they can't be there. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Servant comes back and says, Lord, we've done all of that, but there's still some room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come so that my house shall be full. host identifies four groups of people that I want you to go out and speak to. The poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. There, there, there are four kinds of people that God has a burden for. One is the poor. The poor represent people that have everything but they have nothing. How many people know you can be wealthy financially and be poor inside? You can have everything but have nothing. And Jesus says, just come to me. Jesus says, compel them to come because I'll teach them about a wealth that they don't know. Money's important, but money cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Jesus then speaks about the crippled. It's more than one way that a person can be crippled. You can be crippled by the past by an addiction, by depression, anxiety. You can be physically whole, but be crippled by stuff that's inside of you. And the invitation to Jesus is just come to me. Just come to me. Jesus speaks about the blind. And again, there's more than one way to be blind. We can see with our eyes, but not see any way ahead of us. We've all said it sometime. I can't see how I'm going to get through this. I can't see how I'm going to get to the other side. I just can't see a way through this situation. Most of us have said that at some stage in our life. Jesus says, just come to me. You're invited, just come to me. God has a burden for people that, that can't see their way ahead in life. There's more than one way that we can be lame as well. Jesus says, come to me. I just wonder, there might be someone here today, you don't know Christ. I want you to know that God loves you and that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you, if you would just turn to God, your life could be lived differently. You could experience life and life in abundance. I love the way Jonah describes God. He says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. I, I, I don't know what your preconceived ideas about God might be. I don't know what you think God is. I mean, if you had to use some words to describe God, I don't know what words you would use to describe God. Some people think, oh, He's distant. He's not interested in my life. 
Jonah knew exactly who God was. He's, he's a gracious God, slow to anger. And I want you to know that God has a burden for you. He thinks about you. He loves you, has a plan for your life. He thinks about how your life could be lived. And He wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants to help you deal with the stuff in your life. He knows who you could be. That the blessing that we spoke over Marco today could be the blessing that you experience in your life and my life. But all we need to do is invite Him in. All we need to do is accept the invitation. All we need to do is ask Him to be the Lord and Saviour of our life. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That whoever, whoever gives their life to Jesus, whoever surrenders to Him, could experience life and life eternal. That doesn't mean just one day eternity. That also means the kind of life that we could experience here on earth. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we would accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then we too we could be saved. I want you to stand with me. Worship team, come. Some people might say, Pastor Joe, well, how do I I turn to God? How do I accept Christ as my Lord and Saviour? What do I need to do? Well, Religion would say you've got to do a lot of good things. If you do enough good things, then one day God will be impressed and maybe you get to heaven. Some people think I have to do this, I have to do the other thing. You don't have to do anything. The Bible talks about salvation as a free gift that we can experience in Christ. All we need to do is invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life. All we need to do is ask Jesus. It's, it's a simple prayer that says, Lord, I just want to know you. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to know you, Lord God. I don't want to just know about you. I, I, I want to know you. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's, 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 it's not so much the words. It's really the intention of the heart to say, you know what? I've been doing life my way. I don't want to do life my way anymore. I want to turn and God, I want to do life your way from now on. It's the essence of it. It's not about the words. It's about the intention of the heart. And you know, there's a whole bunch of us here today that there was a day in our lives when we made a decision like that. We prayed a prayer that, you know, said some words like, you know, Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. I want to serve you all the days. That We prayed a derivative of that prayer. And because we prayed that prayer, because we invited Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our life was never the same again. It's like the lights went on. Suddenly we could see, we could understand. Something changed, something shifted in our hearts. The Bible calls it we were born again. We experience Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that changes our life. Because Jesus is the one that, that, that transforms us. Jesus is the one that, that helps us to bring our life into order. Jesus is the one that helps us to navigate life. Bible says, and whosoever shall call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. 
And that word saved doesn't just mean saved for eternity. It means everything. It means healed. It means, it means restored. It means, it means that God helps us through life. So I, I want to challenge you today. Maybe you're kind of wondering, is this all real? Maybe you've never, ever given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Why don't you give your life to Jesus? Why don't you just open up your heart to Him today and invite Him into your life and say, Lord, I, I, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's the greatest decision that we can make in life. It's the most important decision that we can make. We're going to sing that song. Speak, Jesus. We're going to sing that song again. And I, I just want to encourage you to sing with us. And as you sing this chorus, as you sing this song, which is just powerful, I want you to begin to speak the name of Jesus over your life. Open up your heart to Him because you'll never be the same again. Thank you.